Luke 15, what we find is not just two boys. We find a dad. And sometimes I think we forget this part, that regardless of how rebellious we may think this world has gotten, and how rebellious maybe you have seen or others, uh, you've seen other children be, a father is still connected in that some way or somehow. Now, while it's true that mothers go through stressful and, and they'll go through very uh, strenuous times, so does dads. And uh, sometimes we don't seem to count that part. Mom just feels her stress and she feels every. But you know what? Dads go through it too. And uh, what do you do, dads, when you face things such as we read that this father faced with two sons? Now, I identify with him because I had two sons. And, and uh, while my wife will sit down and help me remember certain things that I forget, I have a tendency to just annihilate. I just forget anything that was negative. And, and, uh, and I just hang on to, to what I can remember. And I, 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 in my mind, I can sit there and say, you know what? I don't remember my kids being rebellious. And, of course, then they'll say, well, did you remember this time? I say, oh, okay. You know, then they bring my remembrance back to me. I, and I don't know if you're like that or not, but I count it blessed to have had two boys. And, uh, and now having them around me serving is even a double blessing. I, I don't know many preachers that have their kids serving around them, serving Jesus. I, and I'm not bragging. I just, I just think it's an honor. And, and, uh, and I think it would be a prayer of anybody that could pray that your kids would grow up and, and, uh, and want to serve Jesus around you. But in, in this passage, let's look at it. It's a very familiar passage. It's the, pa- the path. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son, but it says to illustrate, this is the New Living Translation, uh, Luke 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told a story. And in this story, he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son told his father, I want to share, I want my share of your inheritance or your estate, and I want it right now before you die. Now, that's kind of weird for us, isn't it? Because if I were to have asked my dad when I left home for the first time for my inheritance, I wouldn't have got a nickel. I mean, uh, I knew better to ask something like that because my dad, you know, that was kind of tight during those days. I saw one of the things on that one video where it talked about dad and mom having to rely on possibly the kids that taken care of him. One time... When my, we moved from Atlanta, I remember my daddy lost his job. And Mama, she didn't have a job. She was a homemaker. And, and uh, I was out there framing every day, and I brought my check home. I gave it to him. I said, hey, man, we got to eat. You know, I'll help in any way that I possibly can. I don't know that was a long time. Again, there's a lot of things I don't ever, I can't remember. But, but I know I helped out in, in, in that way. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, that younger son packed up all of his belongings and took a trip in a distant land. The King James Version says a foreign land. And there in that land, he wasted all of his money on wild living. About the time that the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. 
The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. And I call it when slop or pig slop starts looking good, and that's all you got to eat, eat it. But it's not the best for you, but uh, it is something to eat. The boy became so hungry that he even saw the pig slop looking good, but nobody gave to him. And finally, the Bible says, and I believe this is taught. I believe this is innate. I believe this is when dads pour into the lives of their kids, because I'm going to tell you something. We can pour all the positive in our kids, and we should. We need to tell them all about Jesus, and, and we did. But that doesn't mean because you do all that positive that sons don't grow up. This was a father, I believe with all my heart, that gave him, that, that poured his life into his sons. He told them about God. He told them that and, and put a foundation in them. But what happened? That son still became rebellious. Now, dads, you probably, if you've had that happen to you, you blame yourself. But if you poured your life in them and you poured and you let them know, look, you can't blame yourself for a choice that a 19 or 20-year-old such as I made to leave home. That is not dad's fault. By the way, I raised my boys not to live with me forever. I raised my boys and released them. I don't have a book on it. I don't know how to tell you when is the right time, but I know that I don't want, I didn't want my boys being so tied to me that they couldn't make a decision on their own. They need, my guys had to grow up. Now, did I want them to move out right after the, they graduated from high school? No, but they made a decision. Did I go against it? No, I agreed, just like this man. Why? Because I poured my life into my kids. I had not only an expectation, but I knew what their foundation was. I knew what was in them. Even if they were in a rebellious state, I knew what was in them. And that one day... If that ever took place, now I don't think there's a parent in here that would get up and pray every morning that your kids be rebellious. But I know this, today kids are rebellious. I'm not talking about teenagers now, I see it in children. And, and, and if you ever doubt that there's an enemy working, look at the kids and look how they grow up and watch it. It's not that we're raising bad kids. We have an enemy, and that enemy loves to, to work with our kids, and, and, and that's why we should even want to work more. That's why we should even want uh, to put our selfish things aside and, put, and place importance in our kids uh, for this day and time. Fathers often don't know what to do when things go like this in this passage, but for some reason or another, this father did. And it just didn't seem to bother him when it would have bothered me if all of a sudden my son, who I love with all my heart, or either one of them, rebelled on me. But this one did. You see, one of the real frustrations that we have in fatherhood 
is the struggle of balance in our lives. You say, what are you talking about? Balance. Well, women understand the stress of balance, but men often won't talk about it. They won't talk about work advancement over against family enhancement. We don't talk about it much when we refer to the stress of employment and enjoyment. We don't want to talk about much about vocation versus vacation, between task pursuits and family presence. You see, fathers often grow up one or two ways, and very few are in the middle. You either have the father that grows up and he is so lighthearted and so party-spirited that what he does is he neglects, he neglects the foundation that the kids need. And he's just saying, man, what goes? Let's just party. Party, party, party. Let's party hardy. Let's just have a good time. Well, now, don't get me wrong. I think that's a good spirit. But if you're a father and you got kids, they're not going to learn going from one party to the next. They got to have something in substance. But what's the balance of that? Well, the balance of that is a father who gets a job. He's very responsible. He's very, I mean, you can count on him. He, you don't have to wake him up in the morning to go to work. As a matter of fact, the problem with the, one, the father too far to the left is he becomes a workaholic. And therefore, it's now the job that's so important. But yet the kids are continuing to grow. He's working and working and working and getting all of his security and all of his his self-worth through his work. But his kids need him. And by the way, if you're a grandfather, I don't care what you say, your grandkids need you. Because they need to have that foundation to come from them as well as what came from the parents. You see, what really needs to take place in your life and mine is that we become balanced. We, we learn what sound judgment and a discernment means. Sound judgment is important. Discernment in your life is so important. Knowing when to say, you know what? I've worked enough today. Now it's time to go hang with the kids. Go to Six Flags. Go to White. Go wherever you do. Spend some time with your kids. Kids, daddies are in the nursery growing up moment by moment. And if you're like me, I don't have that opportunity anymore. Yet I still pour into them every chance that I get. It was a whole lot easier to pour into them when they were small, when they'd listen to me, when I'd have my kid on the stage and I'd say, fall backwards and daddy will catch you. I'll tell you what. If Josh or Joe was on this stage today and I told him to turn around, don't worry about it, fall backwards, daddy will catch you. They won't do it. You want to know why? They've gotten smart. And they're twice as big as I am. So understand we have decisions to make. And this balance is getting to us. <laughs> I got so frustrated this week trying to figure out what to preach. I said, I'm just going to call some of my preacher friends and see what they're doing. Because every year, while Father's Day comes around, it just seems like it just come around, you know, just a little while ago. And before long, you begin to say, well, what new ideas are there? So I called a pastor friend of mine in Mississippi. And he, I said, what you doing, boy, about preaching? He said, I don't preach on special days. I said, man, your daddies need to hear from you. You're a daddy. 
And you need to be preaching on that. He said, I'm preaching a series, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, whatever. I said, but now, do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to tell you what to preach, but you are a father. And he is fostering two two children. I said, what is your greatest pressure as a daddy? He said, to remain before my kids the godly example and the godly uh, pattern that they need to, need to hear in a messed up world. If it was ever messed up when I came through, they say it is ten times worse now because there are no absolutes and there don't seem to be no right and wrong uh, situations going on. Called another pastor friend, and uh, I, I, I said, what, what about you? He said, I'll tell you what. I realized that my kids didn't listen to one dadgum thing I was teaching them when they were growing up. And they're a bunch of hard-headed and and downright heathens. And I don't understand why they didn't listen and and try to live the way they were taught. Now, y'all ain't ever felt that way, I'm sure. But this preacher friend did. He never gave me his uh, text or, uh, or anything that he did. And then an older friend of mine who's now 70, roughly one and two, he said, I just believe I, I still find it a struggle to maintain the integrity and before my kids and let them see that it's real that's what's in me. And I don't want to let them down in any way of what as a dad. Well, you see, I know all of us have been brought up with all kind of wacky stuff. I can remember some some statements that my dad said. And and when he said them, they didn't mean make any sense to me. Have y'all ever had your daddy tell you something that didn't make sense? You know, uh, like, son, have you lost your mind? Well, that really bothered me because I started looking for it as a young kid and tried to figure out what is he talking about. When I say no, I mean no. You ain't ever heard that one? Well, okay, don't get excited. I'll tell you why, because that's why. Okay, that's real deep explanation. I'm your father, and that's why. (laughs) Yeah, you never heard that one? As long as you live in my house, you will live under my rules. Boy, I heard that one a hundred times coming up. If all your friends wanted to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, does that mean you jump too? You ever ask your kids that question? <clears throat> I won't tell this in front of Josh, but Josh was a small little twerk, and he loved to get into stuff. It didn't mean a whole lot to me, but when the neighbors come over and questioned you about it, you know, he was hanging out with this kid in Covington. As a matter of fact, I think his dad either worked at ACS across town or might have owned it, I don't know. And those two kids were throwing apples at his carport. And I don't know what more made two kids just start throwing apples. Well, when he came out, his whole carport was blessed with hundreds of apples. So it kind of ticked off the kids that he told us about it. So one day he was out on the tractor. And Josh wadded up this uh, mud ball. He was about probably eight, nine years old. And he threw it. Well, he didn't have any clue he was going to hit anything with it. The guy stood up and turned around, and it hit him right there in the chest. Mud went everywhere. 
Well, guess how he come to my house with mud everywhere. And he began to commence to tell me what my son had done. I said, thank you there, sir. And, and, uh, I, and Josh and his buddy kept, they happened to walk up and they knew, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. So I looked at Josh. I said, Josh, did you throw that and hit him? He said, I sure did. I said, why? He said, because my buddy told me to. I said, if he told you to jump off a bridge, would you? He said, in a heartbeat. <laughs> He's in trouble, I guess he'd have said about anything. If you want something to do, I'll give you something to do. You ever heard that? <laughs> if you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't you come running and telling me about it. I won't, I guarantee you, I won't do it. And we could go on and on and on. But as dads, sometimes we can say some of the dumbest things, can't we? And it's not that we mean to. It just comes out that way. And so I believe, though, if I could speak for all the dads in the house today, don't you down deep want to be a super dad? Don't You, you don't want to be a sorry dad. You don't want to be a, a, a dumb dad. You want to be a super dad. You want... I want to be a super grandpa or pawpaw, whatever they end up calling me. But uh, this, this guy in this text, he seemed like he was a super dad. And he took something very negative and made it positive in the story. How many of you do that? How many of you, like the fellow that was sitting in a waiting room and his wife was having a baby and they didn't go get a sonogram, they didn't go get anything like that, and... He's sitting in there, I mean, just drenched in sweat. Six-hour long labor, which isn't long, but six hours. It is if you're the woman, though. But six hours, he's just sweating. and I mean, he's praying and asking, oh, God, please let it be a boy. Oh, God, please let it be a boy. The doctor, six hours later, after all that agonizing, stuck his head in. He said, you're the proud father of a little girl, seven and a half pounds big. He lowered his head and grabbed his arms. He said, thank you, Lord Jesus. That's a girl. She won't have to go through what I've been through in the last six or seven hours. Thank you, God, for a girl. Well, he really wanted a boy. What did he do? He just made something positive out of a negative situation. But you know what I'm saying to you is that sometimes we get caught up in some serious stuff. And what do dads do? Let's look what he did. First of all, what did this dad do when he was dealing with a rebellious son? Well, it tells us that in verse 11 that his son came to him and he said, I want you to give me my inheritance. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you, the historical backdrop of that is there's nothing wrong with that. That was a normal practice. That's just something that they could do. <laughs> Today, I think kids were just saying, Daddy, please, would you consider me a little inheritance? <laughs> when you die, you know, uh, the inheritance things have sort of went out the window. You need to book, read the book of Proverbs, and you'll find out that each we should be leaving godly inheritance to our kids and grandkids But if, if, if we got one. But understand this. This, this son 
was a very selfish boy. And, and he was a selfish man, and, and he was demanding his own rights. Now, I know your kids have never done you that way, I'm sure. But sometimes kids do that. They, they want their way. They want it. And, uh, and have you ever seen or been in the line at a grocery store when a little kid wants a piece? And I, you know they know that all, we're going to bring kids to that front. That's why they put all that bubble gum and, and all them things that we don't need to be looking at up, up there at front. Why don't they stick them in the store? Because they know nobody paying attention. But what they want to do is they want to put it right there in your grandkids' or your kids' eyes where they, they get tempted to fill the pockets. They want a piece of bubble gum. And, and I've seen kids through the years, man, they pitch some of the glorified fits because that's what they wanted. And it was in their eyes. Well, for some reason, this dad made this comment. Okay. You can have. I'll give you your half of the inheritance. Now, was he a enabling dad? Was he a detached dad to his son just to give him what he wanted? I don't think so. I think he knew that it was time that this boy realized he was old enough to make some decisions on his own. Even if it meant that he made some mistakes. Did this old boy make a mistake? Oh, yeah. We read that this, this old fella went out and, uh, and, and he, he, had his, he had himself a time. But why did this dad not get bent out of shape? How could he take it so well? Well, I'm not sure that he took it quite so well. But I do know that he spent some time with his boys. I think he knew his boys. Someone was saying that the average time that a person spends with their boys now are something like 37 minutes a day. They thought until they researched it and put cameras on small children to hang, that hung out and, and, and taped what was going on. They had a shocking thing found, they, they found out when they brought all the, the data back together. They found out that dads twice a day were only spending an average, and this is, class, this is young dads, of 37 seconds a day. Now, hopefully you're doing better, and you did better than 37 seconds. But until you've, you're put down on paper and it, you see how much time you spent, do you really know how much time that you're spending? Well, this guy had spent some time with his son. But the cool thing about it, in light of what all went on, you say, well, what went on? Well, the Bible says he wasted all his living. He, he went out, the younger son went out into a, wild, a foreign country, and he took all the money that he had and blew it on wild parties. Do you think that's the way that dad taught that kid to do? I can guarantee you he did. You know, I'll never forget when I left home. And, and, but I didn't go. I don't know why I didn't have in my mind of going out and having a bunch of wild parties. That just wasn't in my mind. But I can remember leaving home and mama said, I've never seen your daddy cry like he did when you left home. And I was about 20 years old. I said, well, you ought to be, he should have been having a party that I was 20, finally leaving. But he said, no, Dad, son, your, or, or your daddy went in the bathroom and cried like a baby. And I go, man, that don't sound like my dad. I never saw that side of my father. 
But I sure know what it felt like to go live in a foreign land. And to me, Claxton, Georgia was a foreign land at that time in my life uh, when they don't know you. And I stayed there a year, and it got so bad financially, I said it. I got to thinking just like this guy. It got bad for him. He, he, he done spent all of his money. He parted it all away. And all of a sudden, he was poor as poor could be. Well, what do you think when all his money disappeared, what happened to all of his friends? They took off. It's, you'll find that out. And the Scripture's clear that as long as you've got the fuel for a party, they'll hang with you. But if you lose the funds and all of a sudden you're broke and poor and busted, they will desert you those who claim to be your friends. It got so bad in this young guy's life that he began to starve, the Scripture says. And he begged a, a farmer to, to hire him to, to raise pigs. Now, for a Jewish boy, that was not an easy task. The Scripture goes on to say that he got so hungry and nobody would give him anything to eat that he finally looked at the food of the, of the pigs and he realized that that's just what I got to eat. I was sitting in a front of this guy named Waldo Bunton in Claxton, Georgia. I was in a Dynamic 88, 1965. It, it, I call, we all called it, the kids in our family, the tank because we all drove it. And I was listening to WSB radio, and, and all of a sudden, I got homesick. I started tears rolling down my face, and I said, man, as hard as it, I'm down here making $3 an hour. I left making $8 or $10 an hour, and I'm down here working $3 an hour. I've got three roommates that I don't like just so we can pay an apartment of $100 and something dollars a month. And, I, and all of a sudden, it dawned on me, why don't you just go home? Well, you see, the Bible says to this guy, what does it say? Look at it. He came to his what? Senses. Now, for a rebellious child to come to his senses, that is a good thing. Because then he all of a sudden realized that whatever that father had done, and all and all, through all those years, here he is starving, and he says, "My hired, my daddy's hired help had plenty of extra food. Here I am. Uh, I just I don't care whether I go back as a son or not. I don't care whether my dad, my daddy doesn't have any right to take me back as a son if he just hire me back. Do you see an attitude change going on here? Rather than give me, give me, give me, give me what's owed to me, now he's saying, Dad." Would you just take me back? Forget I'm your son. Let me work for you. Whatever I need to do. Well, in light, maybe you've had to face this. What did you do as a, as a dad when, uh, when you were facing a rebellious son? But then he had to face the return of the wayward son. You say, well, did he kick him out? Did he say, no, you can't come back. You blew it. There's no bed for you. 1.30 in the morning, I was coming back. I didn't call my mom or my dad and let them know where I was at and where I was. I told them I'd be around there around 10, 11 o'clock. But I didn't call and told them I have a wreck. I fell asleep at the wheel, and I went off the road, and I got stuck in a swamp. 
And finally, somebody come by and drug me and that old dynamic 88 out of the mud, and, and it threw me back about an hour or two. Well, when I went into the door about 1.30 in the morning, guess who was sitting in the chair waiting on me? My dad. I said, uh-oh. He said, son, sit down right here. I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't know how you've lived in this last year, and it don't matter to me. You may have not had regular hours, but around here, this is my house, and you're going to live under my rules. I said, "What do you? whatever you say, Dad. What, what, what's your rules? He said, you've got to be in at 11 o'clock. I think I'm about 20, 21. You've got to live, you've got to be in this house by 11 o'clock every night. I said, yes, sir, Dad. He said, not only that, we don't have a bed for you. I said, okay. I, what you got? He said, you got a couch in the den, and that's all you're going to get because everybody else is sleeping in all the other beds. I, I couldn't remember how many were home, but the whole gang was home plus my, gra- uh, my grandpa. Well, when I came back home in 1976, I was glad to sleep on that ca- couch, Carl. That it was the only room in the house that had air conditioner during that time. He didn't know it, but I loved air conditioning. And it was the only room. And I, I man, every night I thank Jesus that I had a couch to sleep on. It didn't bother me a bit. You see, this old boy, when dad, when he came home, the Bible says he was looking out in the distance, and he saw the sun coming. Now, how could he have seen the sun coming in the distance if he hadn't been looking? Now, I don't know if my mom and dad were sitting there hoping I'd come home or looking whether I was. I don't know any of that. But he was, and he saw from a far-off distance a hobo coming down the road with a knapsack on a stick, skinny as a rail, probably unrecognizable. But he knew that was his son. The Bible says he waited on him to get there, didn't he? No. He had, they wore robes, and he bound that robe up where he could take off, and he headed off running for him. And the Bible says he gave him one of the biggest bear hugs that you could actually, you couldn't imagine, and he loved on him. And immediately he sent for a robe to put on him because he was so dirty and gave him a ring to put on his finger and put sandals on his feet. And then he said, go kill the fatted calf. The son that I thought was dead and lost has now come home. I thought he was gone, but he's back. And we're going to have a humongous party. You know what the cool thing, though, about that on the double side? I didn't get a party or a fatted calf or a robe or a ring. I didn't get none of that. I got a couch, and I was glad to get it. I was. But do you know, when a wayward, rebellious son comes home, that's exactly how the Heavenly Father is for you and I. When somebody gets saved, the Bible says there's presence, there's joy, there's, there's celebration in the presence of all the angels because somebody gets saved. You want to know who that is thanking and praising and having a good time? It ain't the angels. They don't know anything about being lost. It's all the people that are up there that we know, that we have friends. And when they hear about people getting saved, they get all excited and they want to throw a party because a rebellious one who was lost has come home. 
Well, the third thing, and I'll close with this, and that is, what does a dad do when you have a resentful older brother? You see, he was jealous. He was angry. He was bitter. He was mad. Now, look, he was the son that stayed home. I called my brother the other day and just, I didn't ask him, was he resentful when I came home? I was afraid to. Because I couldn't remember if my kid, my sisters, evidently they had to be there because I, there was no available bedrooms and there's four bedrooms in that house. But I didn't ask him what he thought about me leaving. I didn't dare ask him about me coming back. But you didn't have to ask this guy. You didn't have to wonder what this older brother thought. You want to know why? Because he was resentful. He was mad. Who in the world is having a party? The Bible says he's out working in the field. Who in the world? And you know why he was so mad about killing that catted fat, uh, fatted calf? You ever seen a catted fat? A fatted calf? You want to know why he was so mad? Because he fed that sucker every day. And he was looking at it one day that the father was going to be so proud of him that they'd have a party for him. And he goes in this big argument because the dad goes to him and says, Son, why aren't you in here partying? Your younger son has come home. He said, What do you mean party? He took your money, Dad. He took everything that we had in our inheritance. And he blew it on prostitutes. He blew it out in wild living. He, he, he is not my favorite person. No, I ain't going in. I ain't partying with him. Boy, a lot of stuff came out. And he was the nice little son that stayed home and did it all right and worked so hard with dad. And you would have thought that he was so right with God. But all of a sudden, all that bitterness came out. He was just as rebellious, if not so more rebellious, than the one that was out blowing everything he had. He just looked on the outside that he was right. But on the inside, he wasn't. What did that dad do? He did everything he possibly could because, see, he tried to input his life and pour in his life in that son, too. And he tried to say, look, son, that's not the way to look at it. He said, look, me and you are tight. You got everything I got. You got it all. He don't have anything. What are you so upset about? And he began to reason with him and try to show him a different way. I believe with all my heart. That as dads that are in here today, I really believe as I look into your faces each week, I believe you'd take a bullet for your kids. I really do. I, I, I believe I would. I believe I'd take a, a bullet for my grandkids. Just don't tell me you're going to shoot me. Just shoot me. Just don't tell me about it. Don't talk about it. That's where I get nervous. You know, it's kind of like dying. I don't mind dying. Let's don't talk about it. Because it might be where you get all maimed up and hurt and everything. Now, I don't want to do that. If you're going to shoot me, just do it. Be good. Good marksman. But this son had dropped his, in 1989, in a country, Armenia. Armenia. There was a four-second earthquake that took out 30,000 people in four seconds. reason 1989 is so significant to me is because that was the year we started Solid Rock. He dropped his kid off at school that day, and he said, Son, remember this. No matter what, I'll always be there for you. 
when he went to the school, he looked at the school that his son, he dropped off earlier, and the school was flattened. It was gone. And all he could think about is what he told his son and the promise he made that morning. He remembered where his, the classroom of his son was, so he went right to, around to the back, and he began to dig in the rubble. As he dug, he dug, he was crying and, and remembering the promise, and he was digging and digging, and, and uh, the fire department came, the police came, Parents were coming and trying to say, look, man, it's over. These kids are gone. You're just going to have to accept it. He said, I'm not accepting nothing until I see whether or not my son is dead or alive. 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours he dug. And the 38th hour, he rolled over a boulder and heard the voice of his son. He began to just scream and holler and they all got all those kids out of that school but then when it was all over and said his son when he had him in his arms and he was holding him and and thanking Jesus that he was okay here's what his son said dad I told the other kids don't you worry I told them that if you were alive you'd save me you promised me dad this morning that no matter what you do what, what would happen, you would always be there for me. And today, here you are, Dad, and you've kept your word. Can I ask you a question? No matter what comes your way as a dad, have you made any promise at all to yourself, to God, to your kids, that you'll do whatever it takes, no matter what, Look, you cannot take, make your kids love Jesus, but you can flat take Jesus in you and love your kids. Amen? And I hope and pray that you understand that we need to make promises to ourselves that we'll do whatever it takes to be the men that we need to be. That even though sometimes we don't know what to do when we have rebellious kids, we don't know what to do when... My dad didn't know what to do when I was coming back home. And, and when you've got, uh, you've got bitter children or you've got bitter people around you, sometimes you just don't know what to do. But you can give them Jesus if you don't give them anything else. Give them Jesus. You can't cram it down their throat, but you can sure live it before them and let them know how much they mean to you and how much you care. With your head.